If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Joshua. We are near the end of the book of Joshua. Tonight we will be looking at chapter 23. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. Joshua chapter 23. A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong and keep to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now... I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that you would meet with us in your word, that by the power of your word, 
we would be made anew. We would be brought face to face with the Savior. We would see your grace. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, the end is near. We are now coming to the end of the book of Joshua. Just this chapter and one more, just two more sermons, including today, until we are finished with the book of Joshua. And so now as we come to this point in the end, the question that comes to us is, what is next for Israel? This is especially a timely question as we consider in the mornings what Israel has gone on to in the book of 1 Samuel. And Joshua speaks to the leaders of Israel. He speaks to them by way of encouragement, spurring them on to following the Lord. What I would like us to see this evening from our text are three brief things. First, knowing what God has done. Seeing what God has done for Israel and knowing that it is God who has done it. Second, that leads to obeying what God has said. Once we know what God has done and we hear from Him in His Word, we are to obey what He has said. And then finally, we are called to an understanding that God is God. Knowing what God has done, obeying what God has said, and understanding that God is God. Let's look now at knowing what God has done. And we begin with Joshua passing on God's testimony to the Israelites in the first three verses of chapter 23. Now this is the second last assembly in Israel. Later, Joshua will address the whole nation in chapter 24. But now, Joshua wants Israel to realize that there is more for living to God than just the initial conquest that has been established. And this is important for us to think about in our own lives. Because far too often, we are willing to serve God when events are fast and furious. When things are going at a great pace. But it is actually the slow, day-by-day following of the Lord that is critical for us. Now, a good deal of time has gone by. This is always a challenge as we read the scriptures, because we just looked at the end of chapter 22, and chapter 23 comes right on it, and it seems to us right upon, right after. But actually... Chapter 23 begins a long time afterwards. And our best estimate is that somewhere between 20 and 25 years have passed between the end of chapter 22 and the beginning of chapter 23. We know at the end of the book that Joshua dies when he is 110 years old. And we know that Joshua spent 40 years in Egypt... 40 years in the wilderness, and somewhere about seven or more years in the conquest. And now, some 20 years later, as we approach the end of Joshua's life, he speaks to Israel. And it's clear that Joshua is focused on more than just the present for Israel. He's actually looking to the future. Now, this is something that good leaders do. 
They plan for when they are gone. For what will happen, what their legacy will be like, how they will affect the future of their people. Now, you don't need to be a leader for this to apply to you. This applies directly to parents also. Don't you as parents plan for the days when your children will be gone from your home? Don't you as parents plan for the day after you have passed on when your children's children will be around? You see, we need to plan for the future, especially with respect to spiritual matters, especially laying a foundation for following the Lord. And so what we have now is Israel is in a time of rest. It is a time of rest that God has given. He promised Israel that rest, you may recall, way back in chapter 1. In verses 13 through 15, he had promised to give Israel rest from their enemies. And so now Joshua knows that his time is short. He says, I am about to go the way of all the earth. And so there is a sense of of urgency in Joshua's voice. Now, sometimes we don't have that kind of sense of urgency with the things of God. Far too often we make assumptions about our own lives, about how they're just going to continue on as they have been, and we are lulled to sleep, as it were, as we interact with others. This is a good reminder to us that we are to be urgent with the things of God. And so Joshua comes to the Israelites and he impresses upon them the responsibility that they have. They are actually in a unique place. They are a group of people who will be around after he is gone. And we also see from verse 3, they are among a group of people who have seen what God has done that puts them in a unique place for the future of Israel. They must carry on Joshua's work, and they are equipped to do it because they have seen the work that God has done. They are to anchor the coming generation in faithfulness to the Lord. Now, this is not something that we should take for granted. Often, we are surprised by what happens to the youth and how they leave the church or they don't follow through on their commitments with the Lord. But the better question we should ask ourselves is, how have we prepared them to meet these challenges? Did we really think that the world and the enemy of their souls would simply give up on attacks upon them? You see, instead it is vital to pass on the stories of God's acts and of God's faithfulness. Now, when we do that, that does not ensure faithfulness in the generations that follow. But when we fail to pass on that word, it does ensure faithlessness. For if they have not been told of God's mighty works, how will they know, how will they appreciate, how will they follow the Lord? We see this in the call in Psalm 78, where the psalmist writes this in verses 2 through 8. I will open my mouth in a parable. 
I will utter dark sayings from of old, things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in the Lord, and forget not the works of God, but keep His commandments. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The psalmist lays out for us the importance of speaking of the mighty works of God. Now, this is primarily the task of covenant parents, not the church. Now, the church is there to assist parents in doing this. But it is parents who have the relationship with their children to pass down the mighty acts of God and even more so to pass down how God has worked in their lives to their children. And so Joshua does this with the Israelites. He begins explaining to them how they can be sure of God's help in the future in verses 3 through 5. Because one way in which this is important, is to know how God helps His people. And so Joshua reminds them that God has been there for them. He says in verse 3, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. You see, Joshua is anticipating that in the immediate future, Israel will need God's help. And this has consistently been the call of this book of Joshua. That there is this initial conquest and then there is after that this occupation. This day upon day struggle with the world looking to the Lord. And so what Joshua is doing is not just trying to explain what God has done. But he is trying to assure Israel of their future. Because they can look to their future and have confidence because God is God. That's why, if you notice, Joshua never emphasizes the courage or the power of Israel. Seems odd, doesn't it? In this whole book, with all of these battles, with all of these struggles, Joshua never emphasizes or dwells upon Israel's ability or courage. This is not only fitting because God is worthy of our glory, but it is an aid to Israel as she goes forward because that is how Israel will face the future. Because when we come to the future and we think we're not able, we can't do what we did in the past, the response is God of the present is the same as the God of the past. And what he has done, he will do. Do you do that in the present day? Do you rehearse for yourself ways in which God has worked in your life? Do you find confidence in what He will do based on what He has done in your life? This is what it means to know what God has done. The second thing that comes to our attention is obeying what God has said. And we see this In verse 6, 
Joshua says, Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. You see, Joshua focuses Israel on looking to God's word. The key to moving forward is obedience. But obedience to what, we might ask? There are so many standards that are before us. I don't think I have ever imagined or read of a time in which the standards of conduct and what is considered right and what is considered wrong in the world has changed so rapidly as it has in the last 10 to 15 years. It's changing so rapidly that even those who think they are saying the right things, who are trying to be a part of the present culture and standards, wind up speaking and being criticized because they're five minutes late. But what we need to understand is that Joshua reaches back to what God himself told him in the very beginning. Way back in chapter 1. In verses 7 and 8, God told Joshua, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Sound familiar? That you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to what is to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. You see, exactly what was required of Joshua is what's required of the people of Israel. There are no double standards here. There is no distinction between super-Christians and regular Christians. I have to disabuse you of perhaps a notion that you might have heard or had. There is no requirement for me to be holier than you. We are each called to obey the word of God, to follow after him, to listen to the word, to not depart to the right nor to the left. It is a standard for everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. And this is critical today because there are all kinds of other standards out there in the world that want you to follow them. But God's word does not change. We cannot compromise it. We cannot change it. And we cannot shave its edges off by claiming we are giving context to the word of God. The next thing that we see in verses 7 and 8 is the vital demand of God's word. It is a highlighted obedience that Joshua sets forth for us. You are not to mix with these nations. You are not to make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, he says. Joshua gives... Emphasis to the main form of obedience, and this is separation. He warns Israel that the more that they flirt with the world, the more likely they are to be taken in by it. And you see, this is how worldly thinking gets into the church. 
For example, we are seeing this even now in the church. You may or may not be aware of it, but more and more into the church, we are seeing sociological categories being used rather than biblical categories. People are taking the language of the world and of secular social science and applying it to the church. The more we become comfortable with the way of the world, the less we become aware of God's word. We substitute the categories and means of the world for those of God's word. Now, separation does not mean to have no point of contact. I'm not advising you to go home and lock yourself up in your homes and only listen to Christian music and only read Christian books and never talk to anyone who is not a Christian. That is not what I mean by separation. Because we are called to be in the world, but not of it. Now, what does that mean? What it means is we must always be thinking with the mind of Christ. We must start by developing a Christian mind to be molded by God's word in the way that we think. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the more we are given to the Lord and His Word, the more we are able to reach out to the world with the grace of God. But we also have to embrace specific acts and decisions as well. And Joshua highlights one that is critical for us. A key example that he brings up is they are not to intermarry. And by intermarriage, we're not speaking of different ethnicities or races. What we mean here is, is that believers in the Lord are only to marry in the Lord. This is perhaps the command of God that is most often ignored to our own peril and sadness. You see, the problem is, it is difficult for us to apply this act of separation, because we are prone either to be lax or to be legalistic. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. Joshua then moves in verse 9 to the motives for this obedience that the Israelites are to have. And the first motive that he strikes on is the grace of God. We see this in verse 9. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. Joshua reminds Israel of all that God has done and that he did not need to do it. All that they have and all that they have accomplished has come from the unmerited grace of God. And knowing this grace leads to gratitude For God's goodness. So I ask you again. Do you recount God's goodness to you in your life? Do you know of all the ways in which the Lord has blessed you? In spite of what you deserve. You see, we should dwell upon the goodness of God. Knowing that it is His grace that makes our life possible. 
But the second motive that Joshua turns to is the fear of God. This is a prospective view. There is a threat that comes. In verse 11, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. And so if Israel does not cling to God, God will no longer bless them, is what Joshua says. Now, why would they expect God to fight for them when they joined with those that God was driving out? And there is a place for this in our lives and in our theology. So often we think that as New Testament Christians, we should never fear God. And there is a sense in which we do not have a slavish fear of the Lord. But we ought to fear God if we are not in Christ. We ought constantly to be examining ourselves to know that we are in Christ, to find ourselves in Christ, to find our purpose and meaning in Jesus. Because there is a real warning not to be complacent, but rather instead to always cling to Jesus. Joshua then concludes in verses 14 and following, with an understanding that God is God. And he begins in verse 14 with the goodness of God. He says, And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one of them have failed. And so Joshua encourages them, with a recounting of all of the blessings of God. Now notice, not one word has failed. God is good all of the time. Isn't he? And this is in spite of the lapses of Israel during the days of Joshua. Well, we would expect Joshua's sermon to end here, wouldn't we? Israel is encouraged. God is uplifted. As Pastor Davis says, let's sing the final hymn now and end the service. But the interesting thing is Joshua doesn't end there. Joshua brings us again to the notion that the Lord's faithfulness is such that we see it in both His goodness and in His judgment. We see it in the severity of God also. There is a warning here to us to keep God before us. That God is not tame. He is not a gentle, grandfatherly figure. I think we can all think of C.S. Lewis's phrase about Aslan. That he is not a tame lion. But he is good. You see, this unhappy ending is not unhappy if it prompts us to faithfulness to the Lord. And that is why the scriptures are full of these kinds of warnings, and we abandon them at our own peril. Paul puts it this way in Romans 11 Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. 
provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. John puts it this way in 1 John 2. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that might become plain that they are not all of us. You see, God is God. And we would do well to remember that. He is gracious and He is good to us. He calls us to Himself. And for our own good, we must cling to Him. Remembering His love to us and telling others of what He has done. That is our calling. That is the sermon that Joshua preaches to us. We are to cling to the Lord. To tell others of His goodness, of His grace, and of His mighty deeds. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank You that You have given us this encouragement together with this warning that we would realize that we, O Lord, owe everything to you, that we are lost without you. Lord, we ask that you would impress upon our hearts each and every day your goodness and grace, that we would be so in love with you and what you have done that we cannot help but declare it to others. Lord, help us to be faithful. For without your power, without your Holy Spirit, we are unable to be faithful to you. Bless us, O Lord. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.